0: Hello everyone. This is Adam Morton. I just wanted to say that since opening, we've gotten a huge amount of downloads, far more than I thought we would get in the first few days. As someone who makes movies, all I've ever wanted to do is entertain people and change how they see the world or how they feel about the world. So that's really cool. It means people are listening. And if you're listening, I want to hear from you. Please, please email me at fantastictalesforkids at gmail.com. All one word, no spaces. Let me know what you think of the show. Right now with the coronavirus in the world, I know things are super crazy, and as a father of two young boys, I know a lot of you are probably bored. There are kids all over the world right now who probably feel just like you do. When my oldest son gets bored, he starts jumping and trying to spend. It's hilarious. But being bored is the worst thing in the world for a kid. I'm 35 years old, but I remember all those times as a child where I just didn't have something to do and it drove me nuts. Specifically, when I was 8 years old, I got so bored that I tried to make a parachute for my cat. My mom thankfully would not let me put it on the cat, but it just goes to show you how starved I was for entertainment. If you feel bored, let me know what you like to do for fun at fantastictalesforkids at gmail.com and I might read it aloud in my next episode. Before we start the episode, I just wanted to say, please continue to help me out. The more downloads I get, the more incentive and momentum I get to continue this show. Tell your friends and family, if you're on a parenting Facebook group, for example, please share this and make sure to mention it's free, that all-important word. Thank you so much. Parents, stay sane. And kids, go easy on your parents. Enjoy the episode. This episode is called Riley's Magic Wand, a short story by me, Adam Morton. This is Fantastic Tales. Before humans walked the Earth, and even before dinosaurs walked the Earth, the world was a very different place than it is now. A race of human-like people known as elves ruled the Earth using magic and ingenuity to make their lives easier. To cook food, they cast an incineration spell that could cook an entire steak in half the time it takes us now. To see in the dark, they cast a luminosity spell to see for over six hours. If they wanted to travel somewhere, They simply enchanted a horse, and it was able to run six times faster than horses normally could, and it wouldn't get tired out or hungry. In fact, the spell would actually allow the horse to live longer and be far healthier. And the horses had no problem with this, of course. It was quite a good arrangement. In fact, horses used to be much more person-like than they are now. They could talk and do much of the same things that most people can. When the elves first met the horse people, They brought them apples, salt blocks, and other sweets and fruits. The horses immediately grew to love the elves, and often, both races lived amongst each other. This bond is carried over to today, and if their human owners treat them with honor, the horse will serve their master their entire life. The elves were a very peaceful people. They never fought, they never had issues with crime, they never needed money, because each elf took care of the other. With such a beautiful big earth, what problems could the elves and horses ever have? Here is where Rylia, a young elf, enters our story. Rilia was like most elves. She was kind, loved magic, and loved making tasty treats for her family and neighbors. And really, anyone who would take them. She was adventurous and loved the outdoors. So much so, that occasionally she would go out exploring and get lost. Today, her father decided he would teach her a spell she could use to find her way home. The spell, called Navigatus, required Rylia to use a magic wand. There was only one problem. She didn't have a magic wand. You don't have a magic wand yet? Her father, Miles, asked rhetorically. Riley explained that Mother was worried she might hurt herself because she was too young. Miles smiled. I'll talk to your mother. You're 49 seasons old, which was about 12 years old to you and me. It's about time you had a wand to take care of yourself. Riley suddenly wondered something. Where had wands come from? That will be an adventure for tomorrow, Riley. Tonight, I need you to prepare two days' worth of food and water. We are going on a long journey tomorrow. Rylia was simmering with excitement. What could father possibly have in store for her? That night, she did exactly as her father told her. She baked a big loaf of beer bread, which is sadly one of the best elvish recipes that had been lost to history and was far superior to modern human bread. She also picked blue apples, a few carrots, and several small pieces of cheese. She filled their canteens with water and even threw in a few cookies in a bag. Lastly, she put in some dried sugar jerky made from reptar meat. Reptar are like alligators, in case you're wondering. Her mother and father were both already sleeping, as was her little brother, Olivier. He was half her age. Rylia often had trouble sleeping. While lying in bed, she would close her eyes and imagine what the future would be like. Would people live the same way she lived? Would they talk the same and laugh at the same things? Would they love the earth as much as she and her village did? She lived in a big village, and while there were all different types of personalities and elves, each one saw it as their responsibility to take care of the earth and land. True happiness, the elves taught, comes from honoring your world and protecting it for those that will come after us, future generations. These kinds of ideas made Riley happy, and eventually she started breathing heavier and slower. Her eyes drooped down like clouds on a cool morning. She slept. The next morning, Miles woke her up with a smile. "'Are you ready to get your wand?' Riley could not wait. She climbed down from her loft, built in the roof of a spacious straw cabin. Her mother, Samira, stood at their oven, a simple square arrangement of bricks with a simple incendiary spell keeping it warm. There was a vent in the roof that allowed the heat and gases from the fire to escape. Riley loved the smell of her mother's cooking, but her mother was not happy to see her this morning. "'She's too young, Miles. We should wait another year, at least until the next harvest,' Samira pleaded." Her father seemed too excited to be worried. Love, it's not a far journey. We'll be only gone two sunsets. And she'll be with me, Miles happily explained. Mother was not convinced. Look, purple oak wood is rare, and as our village expands, it will be only harder for us to find this. The longer we wait, the harder it will become to get Rylia a wand. Why does she need a wand at all? Asked Samira. She doesn't need to know magic. She's only a child. Finally, Miles relented. Okay, dear. I already promised her, but... If you don't want us to go, we will honor that. Riley sighed. She knew her father loved her mother so much that he would climb a cliff without a rope if Samira asked him to. Mom, she started, father wants to teach me a spell to prevent myself from becoming lost like I did last fall. Please? After several moments of deliberation, Samira relented. Riley jumped for joy and hugged her. Olivier had woken up and was trying to pull breakfast off the skillet on the oven. Miles and Rylia packed up their carriage. A simple wooden buggy pulled by two strong white Arabian horses, Bilby and Betsy. Rilia loved these two horses and would often sneak them food. "'You're going to give us cavities, Rilia. Betsy would often joke. Betsy loaded up on some supplies when Bilby asked, "'Where are we off to, Rylia?' "'We're going to get my very first one,' Rilia could not contain her excitement. Betsy whinnied and replied, "'Oh, joyful day. I bet you must be ecstatic. This is a big day for any elf.' Miles hopped onto the carriage after putting the last supply, a broad axe, into the back of the carriage. He asked the horses if they were ready, and when they nodded, he told them to head to Farthington Forest. They headed down the hill and followed the road down a valley. Riley usually didn't go down this way when she would go exploring. She made a mental note to do this later when they returned. The valley was full of beautiful wildflowers. She wanted to stop and pick some, but realized she'd rather get her wand as soon as possible. Father? Can you tell me how we will find my wand? He smiled. It's a complicated process, he started. But every elf has a lineage depending on what families they were brought up in. That lineage determines what type of wand material that elf will need. You happen to need a very rare, beautiful type of wood known as purple oak. Since the day you were born, I have been looking for this tree. It was not until last week that old Henry the blacksmith told me that he saw one out in Farthington Forest. That I finally realized where I could find one. Riley was fascinated. Well, what happens after we find the tree? She asked. Well, he began. First, we will inspect the tree and search for a limb we can remove. After all, we don't want to hurt the tree, but we also can't take a dead branch off either. So we need a good live branch, but not one that will hurt the tree when we remove it. Then we will cut a wand out and shape it with a quartz crystal. The final part involves the bonding. It's the most important part. It's where we learn if the wand has accepted you as its rightful owner. How do we know if it will accept me? Rylia wondered. You will know if it doesn't accept you, he answered cryptically. Rylia wondered what this meant, but was distracted by another question. What kind of wood is your wand, father? Mine is red oak, far less rare, which makes it easier to find. He removed his wand from his front cloak and passed it to Rylia. She admired its design. It was a beautiful reddish-brown color, with lines of grain going along the length of it and smoother areas rubbed into the handle through years of handling. She could feel a bit of magic coming off of it, like static electricity. Holding it made her feel strong. It was now late afternoon. The four stopped to eat a light meal. Bilby was telling Riley a joke as she played with her father's magic wand. Then, in the distance, a rumbling sound slowly grew. Miles looked over to examine it. Riley looked at her father for some kind of indication of whether she should be worried. Bilby told the three of them to sit tight while he would go and investigate. Miles argued with him. You're not going alone. Bilby rebuked him. Stay here with Rylia. Miles couldn't argue. Be careful, begged Betsy. The three of them watched as the white horse ran a great distance toward a hill overlooking another valley. Miles, Rylia, and Betsy all stared worryingly at him. Dad? Rylia was scared. Miles took his daughter's hand and put his other arm over Betsy's mane. Bilby stood there for a few minutes, watching something. Whatever it was, the group could tell that it was really important. Suddenly, Bilby knelt down to hide in the long prairie grass. Riley did not know what to think. This was a big deal. In that moment, she wished she had her wand already. She wished she was older and knew more magic and could protect herself better. She wished she had listened to her mother this morning, too. What was she thinking, letting her young daughter go off into danger looking for a rare tree? Her heart filled with regret and fear. If anything happens to Bilby, she thought, I will never forgive myself. Bilby stood up quickly and galloped back to the group. Seeing the expression on Bilby's face, now she was confused. Bilby finally reached them. Miles, you ride Betsy and I'll take Rylia. You have to see this. Bilby could barely explain for being out of breath and being really excited. Leave the carriage here. We'll be back. Rilia hopped on and before she could even tighten her grip on the saddle, Bilby took off so quickly the wind pushed her hair all over her face, covering her eyes for a few moments. By this time, they had already reached their destination. Okay, get off and be very, very quiet, Bilby whispered, and then look over that ridge. Rylia had no idea of what to expect. The rumbling sound was growing louder. As she crawled closer to the ridge, she finally saw it. Or she thought she did. What was it? It appeared to be a group of six white horses, running freely through the field. There was also one younger horse, but that's when Riley realized that these weren't regular horses. They each had what appeared to be a spear or some sort of cone-shaped horn on the front of their faces. Those are unicorns, Bilby explained. All horses are descendants of the great white unicorn. I've never seen one before, Riley marveled. That's because they are incredibly rare and endangered. Most don't let elves or any other animals near them. They still live in the wild and they don't speak common language. Assuming they speak at all. Oh, they speak, Betsy added. They must. They are far too wonderful and complicated creatures for us to only judge them by what's on the surface. Rylia looked at the animals as they galloped away. Then she noticed the younger one, a foal had tripped and fallen. The group continued forward, not noticing what had happened at first. Suddenly, one stopped and turned to help the baby. As the foal got back up on its legs, the mother turned and looked directly at Rylia, as if she had been aware that Rylia was watching her the entire time. Rylia shook in fear. The mother unicorn gave her a death stare. It was not a friendly or casual glance. It was a look that communicated something far more severe. What's she doing? Rylia asked. She's letting you know that she will kill you if you try to hurt her baby, Betsy explained. These beautiful animals are endangered. Their only means of survival is constant paranoia. Being afraid of anyone or anything. It's what keeps them alive. I would never hurt one, especially a baby, Rylia stated. They don't know that. Remember, they don't speak our language, Bilby reminded. After what seemed like hours, the mother and her foal retreated and joined the rest of the group as they galloped away. Riley was happy to be returning to their journey. The group trotted swiftly along as the sun began to set and Earth's two moons appeared. These two heavenly bodies would later collide and join together to form a single moon as you and I would recognize. Miles pointed to an area at which to make camp. After a few minutes, their campsite felt like home. Her father and the two horses fell asleep instantaneously, and Rilia was, just like at home, the last one awake. She stared at the stars and couldn't help but think about them. What were they? She eventually decided that the sky was a big dark blanket that covered the earth when the sun went down, and the stars were holes poked through it to let in a little bit of light. That explanation seemed to do, and her thoughts turned toward the unicorn. What was the mother doing? Why did she look at her the way she did? Does the mother think she's dangerous? Rileya could not stop thinking about this. She wished nobody would ever think of her as someone who would or could hurt anyone else. She wished she could talk to the unicorn right now. When Rylia was younger, her mother told her that when she used to be Rylia's age, she would worry about things all the time. Things that most people might not worry about. Things like if people liked her or didn't like her, or if one day the rain would fall and never stop until the entire earth was covered in water. Her mother told her if she ever worried about something too much, or something unlikely to happen, she should write down what she's worried about on a note. Then, she should dig a small hole in the ground and roll up the note and put it in the ground. If the thing she was worried about ever happened or started to become a problem, she would dig up the note. Her mother told her that in 99 seasons of her being alive, not once did she ever need to dig up a note. Riley I found that hard to believe, but right now she decided to give it a try. On a scrap of paper, she wrote, The unicorn is afraid of me, and I want to make sure it knows that I am friendly. She then took a stick and dug a small hole and buried the rolled up note. This was silly, she thought. After all, if the unicorn appeared some day and she was once again worried that the animal was afraid of her, she wouldn't know where to find the note anyway. They were in a big forest, and she had no way of knowing exactly where the note would be buried. Also, it wouldn't be practical. After all, if she was worried the least of her troubles would be concerning digging up the note for the later... She trusted her mother, though, and went ahead and tried it. Surprisingly, it seemed to help. Her eyes, once again, felt droopy and heavy. Her problems eased away as the sleep took her. The next morning, she woke to the smell of eggs. Miles was cooking some on the skillet. In no time at all, the eggs were cooked and ready. Riley and the rest of the group ate and packed up. Riley felt like she had the energy to run for forever. Miles made extra sure to put out the fire completely, burying all the ashes and picking up all the garbage in the area. With that, father and daughter loaded up on the carriage and headed down the trail. A few hours into their journey, Riley was still practicing how she'd use her own wand when the time came. Holding her father's for training, she gently flicked the wand while saying the magic words. Once out of every five times, the spell would take, and a flash of white fire would glance a tree and sever it in two. When it worked, at least. When you have your own wand, it'll be easier, Miles informed her. I've had that wand for over 20 years. It's used to me the way I hold it and the way I talk. Also, it's my material. When you have your wand, you can train it, and the purple oak wood will bond with you much stronger. Your wand will create all kinds of magic. I can't wait, she replied. A few hours later, the forest started to change. The trees became thicker, the trail muddier, and the light bluer. It felt like twilight, but it was only afternoon. The wind pushed harder too, the trees waved back and forth at their tops, and the wind followed down the tree trunks and blew up gusts of leaves at the base. We're in Farthington Forest now. Keep your head down, Bilby ordered. All kinds of low-hanging dead branches that might fall on you, especially on a windy day. A large branch came crashing to the ground immediately in front of Betsy. She jumped back in fear. Are you okay, Miles asked. Oh yes, just startled me a bit, she replied. Miles could tell that all of this was worrying Rilia, so he decided to distract her. Years ago, about 70-something years actually, the trolls of Enderwood will hunt these forests. Some of their pit traps are actually still scattered around. After the war, things changed and the trolls just kind of disappeared, Miles explained. Riley knew a little about the war. It was a land dispute, she had been told, between a group of war-hardened trolls and the elves of Nodbury, who were neighbors. What happened in the war, father? She asked. It's complicated. The elves claimed that the land was theirs for conquering, that they had discovered it, and they needed room to expand. The trolls didn't like this one bit. At first, they were friendly to the elves. They ate, drank, and threw parties together. They traded, and the trolls even taught them how to grow certain food. Events changed, and the trolls accused the elves of being wasteful. That they had overhunted, littered, and disrespected their land. That's when the fighting erupted. The elves won and offered the trolls the chance to live on the land as serfs, which means servants to you and I, Miles told. Where are the trolls and elves now? Riley asked almost not wanting to hear the answer. Well, nobody knows what happened to the trolls. One by one, they moved away. They hated living as slaves on their own land. As for the elves, well, a few decades later, they began to recognize the errors of their ways as wildlife evaporated and vegetation stopped growing. They apologized to whatever trolls were still around. They vowed to dedicate themselves to protecting the earth and its resources. That was the only good thing that came from that war, Miles explained with a somber tone. I don't understand how anyone could be so... Rylia tried to find the word she was looking for. Obtuse? Good word, Miles responded. The thing is, Rylia, we all like to know how we'd react in a certain situation. I'd like to think if I were alive, I would have stood up for the trolls, but things were different. That still doesn't make it right, Rylia corrected. No, it doesn't, Miles agreed. The thing is, most people are, deep down, good people. They do bad things because of fear. Because they're scared. Fear and worry makes people do bad things. Rilia felt a cold wave across her spine. Could her fear cause her to do something bad? She had to ask. Father, she hesitated. Sometimes I worry. Sometimes I worry a lot. Does that mean I... No, no, Rilia. he replied as he put his arm around her. How do I explain this? The elves, they had children. They had families just like our people do. They were running out of food and were worried that their children wouldn't have enough to eat. The winters were harsh, and the environment was difficult to farm. They saw trolls as the one thing that was keeping them from getting the food they thought they needed. And there were more elves than trolls, so of course they needed a lot of food. The elves were afraid. They knew the right decision was to give the land back to the trolls and honor the agreement. But they also didn't want to die. In this case, doing the right thing took tremendous courage that, unfortunately, they just didn't have. Does that make sense? Rilia thought it did. She nodded. You're a good person. You'd do the right thing. I know you would, Miles comforted. But deep down, Riley didn't know if she would. It's easy to do the right thing when it's convenient and safe. But what about when it's hard? What about when it takes courage? Riley could not stop worrying about this. She worried about being worried. She could not bring her mind to stop thinking of such things. Thirty minutes passed. Stop the carriage, she yelled. The cart came to a halt. Is everything okay? Miles asked, concerned. I just need a minute, she replied as she darted off into the woods where she could be alone. She didn't want her father or Bilby or Betsy to see what she was doing, so she made sure to run far enough away so that they couldn't see her. She pulled out a scrap of paper from her journal and wrote the words, I'm worried that I'm not brave enough to be a good person who makes the right decisions. She rolled up the note and buried it in the ground. In the distance, she could hear her father calling for her. I'm coming, she said as she stepped on top of a dead tree lying on the ground, and her foot slipped right off of it, and she fell straight onto her head, slamming into a rock. The last thing she saw was flashing stars. ¶¶ This is the end of part one of Riley's Magic Wand, an original short story in two parts by me, Adam Orton. If you like this episode, please share us with your friends and family and make sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Ravings do so much for us. Last but not least, make sure to drop us a note at Fantastic Tales for Kids, all one word, at gmail.com. Join us on our next episode of Fantastic Tales for part two, where we discover what happens to Rylia after her accident in the woods. We also meet the unicorn we saw earlier, and we'll find out if Riley actually gets her magic wand. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.